If you weren't here last week, uh, what we're starting to do, what we're doing over the four weeks, is we're just sharing, sharing some principles out of Scripture that God puts in place if we want to have a blessed life. And most of us want to have a blessed life. Is anybody in this room that doesn't want their life to be blessed? Just put your hand up if you don't want to be blessed. <laughs> There's not a person in this room that doesn't want to be blessed. But I think some of the problem that we have sometimes, and we're, uh, you know, and if you don't know Christ, and hopefully you'll find that opportunity at some stage this morning, but those that do know Him, sometimes the problem that we have is that we want the results without following the principles. Yeah? We want God to bless us, but if you want to be blessed, you have to follow the principles. It's a little bit like it says this in the Scriptures, that if we forgive others, God will forgive us. Yeah, it's a principle that if we want God's forgiveness, then we have to forgive those that have hurt us. How many people know that they want God's forgiveness? How many people know it's not so easy to forgive others? But the principle is, if you forgive others, God will forgive you. And it's not because they deserve your forgiveness, but you deserve it. Are you hearing me? When you forgive somebody, it's not for their benefit, it's for your benefit. Because the Bible says that if we don't forgive, then we get a root of bitterness on the inside of us, and that destroys us from the inside out. And so God is not trying to be mean. God is not saying that that person that hurt you or wounded you or abused you doesn't deserve some kind of consequence for their actions. But he does say this, that vengeance is his, not yours. And what he says is that the best thing that you can do is follow the principle that if you forgive them, I'll forgive you, and you'll actually be a lot better off than if you hold on to that thing. And so when it comes to a blessed life, there's the same principles. And so last week we looked at this, that the Bible says this, that it's better to give than receive. It's better to give than receive. It's better to give than to get. And I never really understood that until I was a parent. Prior to being a parent, when it came to birthdays and Christmases, it was all about, yes? Give me, give me, give me. But once I became a parent... And Christmas and that came around and I was able to see the joy on the face of my children as we gave them gifts that I understood it's better to give than receive. Nothing does more for a parent eh, than a smile of their child as they love you and appreciate you for what you just gave them. You should love your parents even if they don't give you anything. Just putting that out there. They do give you a bed to sleep in and a roof over your head and food in your belly, and that's probably really enough for you to be grateful. But there are the principles of Scripture. And this morning, I want, I want to look at another principle with you. And this message this morning is called the blessed test. I believe that God has some things in Scripture which He tests us about what we're going to do with the blessing that He gives us. But the interesting thing is, is that over half the people in this world, three billion people in this world, live off, you got to hear this this morning, 3 billion people in the world live off $2 a day. That's a pay packet of $14 a week. Well, $10 a week, because they only work five days. $10 a week. 3 billion, 50% of the world lives on $2 a day. How many people, when you put that into perspective, realize that you're blessed? Yeah? And the crazy thing is, is that when Harvard University did a study about the generosity of people, not just of Christians, but of all sorts of people, generosity of how much people give 
to charities, what they discovered is somebody on an average income gives 3.1% of their income away to charities, all sorts of charities, not just churches, but all sorts of charities. Person on average income gives away 3.1% to charities. Great, awesome. What they discovered, though, is that people on less than $10,000 a year give away 5.2% of their income to charities. And it boggles my mind a little bit because you would think the more that you have, the more generous that you can be. Yes? Hello? But it proves that generosity is actually not about how much you have. It's a heart thing. And then they discovered this, that people earning more than $200,000 a year gave 0.7% of their income away to charities. Not just talk about churches, to charities. To World Vision or whatever. It, it boggles the mind, in my opinion, that you would think that the more you have, the more you give. But statistics show that the more you have, the less you give. And so don't feel bad if you're not very good at giving, because I've got some great news for you. All of us are really good at spending. You may not be good at giving, but there's not a person in this place that isn't good at spending. Yes? Hello? And the thing is, is this, is that we're so good at spending, we've learned to spend money we don't have. Come on. And the government and the banks encourage us to spend money that we don't have, don't they? We've figured out that we can actually spend more than we earn. And because of that, statistics show us that the more that you earn, the less that you give, because we always like to live to the level of our income, because we're always trying to do things better and have a better house and a better this and a better that. But statistics also prove to us that there's a, a certain point where having more money does help you, but after that, it doesn't really make your life that much different. It just makes things nicer for you. And I want, I want to talk to you this morning around this whole concept of giving because we have to understand that I believe that God puts us through a blessed test. He tests us on our giving because he wants to know, do we love and trust money or do we love and trust him? The blessed test is a test to see what is the priority to us. Listen to this in Luke 16, 10 to 11. It says, whoever can be trusted with little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with a very little will also be dishonest with much. And we know that because I just told you statistics. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And the key thing about living a blessed life is that a blessed life is not just about financial riches, but true riches. True riches of relationships, of friendships, of career satisfaction of great kids and a great marriage. Those are all the true riches of life because when you die, and I've done lots of funerals, nobody gets up at a funeral and goes, oh man, they had so much money. No one talks about how much money somebody had at a funeral. What do they talk about? Their love for their family, the great friend that they were, because those are the true riches in life, yes? And the Bible says this, that if you can't be trusted with a little, then God can't trust you with much. And why would he give you true riches if you can't even do right by the little that he gives you? And the reality is this morning, as I go through this message this morning, truthfully, some of you are going to feel very defensive 
and probably agitated and upset with me as you hear this. And the reason is, is because money is the number one competitor of our hearts. The reason why God, actually, if you look at the Gospels, God talks, Jesus talks about money more than anything else because he understands that the battle for our hearts, for him having our hearts, is actually our finances. And some of you are going to feel really uncomfortable about me talking about this because what the world has created and what we've got into our mindset is that money is what I need. And what money is, is money is a counterfeit God because money promises something that only God can provide. Money promises security. Money promises freedom to be able to go and do what you want. Money promises power. Money promises significance. But the reality is, is money can't give you any of those things. Money can't give you security. Only God can give you security. Oh, you don't understand. Money helps me be secure, blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you what, you can have all the money in the world, but if your kid gets hit by a car, you realize money ain't going to do anything for you in that moment. What you need in that moment is Jesus. You can have all the money in the world, but it's only in Christ that you'll find your true significance. And that's why suicide rates among the rich is higher than among the poor. Because they think that wealth brings significance. Now, let me say this. God wants you to do well. God wants you to prosper. The Bible says this, that you should prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. In other words, he wants you to prosper financially. He wants you to prosper in relationships. He wants to prosper in all those things. In Deuteronomy, it says that God has given you the power to make wealth. God is not afraid of you being wealthy. The key to that scripture is that you prosper even as your soul prospers. So the reason why God talks to us about money is not because money is a problem, but our soul is a problem when it comes to money. And he wants our hearts, and he knows that the thing that he competes with us giving him his hearts is our money, because where your treasure is, your heart is also. And so he comes to us and he says, hey, look, you've you got to understand something, that, that money is a counterfeit God. And in Matthew 6.24, it says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, he's not saying that money is evil, because people say this, that money is the root of all evil. No, it's not. Money is not evil. Money has no spirit to it at all. It's just money. The minute you and I touch it is when it takes on something. Money is not evil. It's our intentions with money that makes it evil. All good. Are you with me this morning? Money is a counterfeit God. Now, I've heard people say this too. If I had more money, then it would make my life easier or better. But Ecclesiastes 5.10 says this. Whoever loves money never has enough money. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. And we see that. People just want more and more and more and more and more. Why? Because they think somehow by having more, it brings significance to our world. And we know that that's what the world tells us because we watch ads on TV that says, if you want to have a great life, then you need to buy this new car because it'll make your life fantastic. In fact, if you drink Coca-Cola, your life is just a party on an island. Yes? If you eat this McDonald's and take your kids along, 
Your family is just going to be smiling and enjoying themselves. How many people know that sometimes when you take your kids to McDonald's, there's not a lot of smiling, there's a lot of tantrums and crying. It, it tells you that if you do this, then your life will be good. If you do this, it will make you happy. And, and when we come to start talking about money in church, people get upset about money being talked about in church, but you have no problem watching the TV every day where the world is trying to get your money all the time without any return. Because if you go and spend your money on McDonald's, the only return you're going to get is in the toilet. It's of no benefit to your body, yes? But the scripture teaches us about money because God understands this. God wants us to prosper. But he's saying, hey, if you want to prosper, I know this is crazy. I know this might be difficult for you. But here's the principle for prospering. And it's basically this. I will give God my first and my best so he can bless the rest. I will give God my first and my best so that he can bless the rest because I want him to know that I don't trust money, but I trust him. And Leviticus 27.30, it says, A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, and it is holy to the Lord. Now, I don't know what you've heard about tithing, but hopefully this morning some of the wrong things you've heard will be corrected and you'll learn some new things. But the word tithe there in the Hebrew means a tenth. And so what the Scripture teaches us is that a tenth of our income belongs to God. And that if we would give a tenth of our income to him, 10% of our income to him, then he will bless the rest, the 90, so that you can prosper in all things. The tithe of every increase. So it's talking about your income. It's talking about a profit you make when you sell your house on what you brought it for. It's talking about any kind of financial increase that you have. When Trinity and I sold a house in Manorewa, we tithe on the increase, on the profit that we made from when we brought it to when we sold it. It's called putting God first. It's saying to him, I'm going to put you first and trust you that you're going to bless the rest. And so when we understand that the tithe, the 10%, is actually his then tithing is not giving, tithing is actually returning. It's returning to him what was always his. Because the scripture says this, that everything that we have is his. He owns the world. That You have what you have because he allows you to have it. So when the Bible says bring the tithe into the storehouse, it doesn't say give the tithe, it says bring the tithe. Return back to God what is God's. Because it's not really ours in the first place. It's his. And we're just giving back to him what he first gave us. I can remember when I was, uh, when the kids were younger, I think Madison would have been about eight, and maybe Seth was about four. And I took him to McDonald's once, as you do as a parent, especially if you're a dad, because that's what dads do, Yes? Come on, dads are great at bribing children. And so I took him to McDonald's and I decided I was going to be good and just have a burger and water. I wasn't going to have any chips, but fries are my, fries are my weak point. Has anybody here got a weak point when it comes to fries, potato chips, potatoes? I, I don't know why. Maybe there's some Irish in me or something, but I, I just love it. But anyone sitting there and I ate my burger and the kids have got their, you know, 
Happy Meal or whatever it was that they were having at the time. And, and I reached over to take a couple of chips from both of them, to which there was a massive rejection. <laughs> Don't touch those chips. Those are my chips. To which I wanted to explain to them who paid for your chips. Yes? I need a tithe of your chips because I'm the lord of the fries in this moment. (laughs) You you didn't pay for this, I paid for it. And right now I'm lord of the fries, give me 10% of your fries. And I was trying to explain to them that technically they may, you may be eating those fries, but they're not your fries, I brought them for you. I paid for them. And I know that's a crass illustration, but that's the reality of when it comes to Christ, is that the tithe actually belongs to him. The income you have, he's given to you. Technically, we're, we're not um, paying tithes, but we're returning the tithe. And to not return the tithe, the scripture teaches us that technically that we're stealing from him. Malachi 3.8 says this, Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? How do we rob you, they ask? You rob me in tithes and offerings, and because you rob me in tithes and offerings, you are now under a curse, and the whole nation because of you, because you are robbing me. Now, I know there's going to be some people in this place right now, and we'll deal with this a little bit later, where you're going to go, that's Old Testament, we're in our New Testament. Yeah, but the Bible also says that all of Scripture is God-breathed, but anyway, we'll get to that a little bit later. But he says to them, hey, you're robbing me, and they go, how are we robbing you guys in tithes and offerings? Because you're robbing me of the tithes and offerings, you're You're cursed. Now, the interesting thing is, is that at the time when Malachi was written, Israel had, up to that point, been great at giving the first fruits of their increase. Shepherds would bring their best lamb and sacrifice it and their best grains and all those sorts of things. They'll bring the first 10%. And God was blessing them, and, and they were growing and multiplying, and, and, and there was an abundant blessing upon their lives because they were putting God first. And then at some stage, somewhere along the line, somebody had this brilliant idea that said, hold on a sec, why am I giving God my best lamb? Surely I should keep my best lambs, get them to mate together, and then I get a really good DNA line, and then those lambs will get more money when I go to market. But over here, I've got this blind one and this lame one with a limp, so I'll give that to God. Basically, they decided to lower the standard of what they were giving him, and instead of giving him the first of the best of their livestock, they decided to hold on to it because they were going to get more money for it when they took the good ones to market. Basically, what they were doing is they were serving leftovers to a holy God. This is my leftover, I'll let God have my leftover. And then God comes to them in the scripture and he says, hey, hey, You've been doing this right. You've been living by the right principle and I've been blessing you. But now you're doing this. Let's see how well you go when I remove my blessing. And if you read in the book of Malachi, you'll discover that when God withdrew his blessing because they stopped following the principle, all of a sudden, their crops stopped yielding. A whole lot of problems came. The economy tanked. And really, God was sitting back and saying, okay, if you want to do this without me, let's see how well you go without my blessing. 
They forgot to bring God their first and their best, the tithe. Let me just give you quickly this morning three blessings that come from the tithe. Three things that God blesses because of your giving. The first one is this, the tithe provides for God's work through his church. Malachi 3.10a says this, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. The storehouse is the local church. I just say this, if you give money away to Benny Hinn and people like that, can you stop doing that? That's not the storehouse. God bless Benny Hinn, but he's not going to come and visit you in hospital when you're sick. Or cook you a meal when you're not well. It's so quiet in here. The local church is the answer to the community. And you and I have the privilege to partner with God to fund what he does in the community. I think God's insane to do that because I think God should just rock up and do it himself and not be burdened with us and our problems. But he chooses to use us. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that made food in my house. And when you bring the tithe into the house of God, here's what happens. You get spiritual food. This morning, you're sitting here in this service, being blessed by the music, being blessed by people being baptized, hopefully being blessed by the message. And it's called spiritual food. And that's what you get. Hopefully, the other week when you came to Connect Sunday, you joined yourself to a small group where you now have friends and you have people that are praying with you and standing alongside you and being there for you. In the tough times, you're being spiritually fed because the tithe has come into the storehouse and it enables us to be able to provide staff and care and things to, to pay for the lights because, believe it or not, Mercury Energy doesn't go, oh, you're a church, you can have it for free. Believe it or not, the city council doesn't go to us, hey, you want to do a 14-section subdivision so you can build a daycare centre and a cafe and, and, and help those that can't afford childcare and subsidise it for them? Oh, no problem. You can have a resource consent for free. They just sent us back on our resource consent. If you can be praying, it would be really good for God's favour. They just sent us back an 18-page letter of additional information that they want including an ecological report of the stream down the bottom there because there's some eels there. The ecological report is $11,500 plus GST. Who knew that you could make a lot of money by looking at a stream and helping eels? Anyway, you bring it into the storehouse so that there's food in the house and then you get plugged in and you start to grow and you start to develop and then your spiritual gifts are being used and then a sense of satisfaction becomes to your life because you return the tithe. We start to make an impact outside of these four walls and that we have both Lizzie and Maddie in the schools and the intermediate and the high school every week, 10 hours a week, speaking into the lives of young people because you bring the tithe in. That this morning in Fiji, there's a church worshipping God of about 300 people because you bring the tithe in that enables us to help them employ people and build facilities and do playgrounds and preschools. And in and, and, and Lakina, which is the poorest part 
of Fiji is it has a daycare center there with over 50 kids. It's the only daycare in the slums, and it's a Christian daycare with Hindus and Muslims and all sorts of kids coming and hearing about Jesus because you bring the tithe in. In Vanuatu this morning, there's a church worshiping and praising God because you bring the tithe in. In South Africa today, or probably tomorrow, because today is Saturday, I think in South Africa, I might be wrong, but on the Sunday in South Africa, in Durban, in a place called Live Village, there's a family called the Durham family who are having an impact and changing the lives of over a hundred orphans because you bring the tithe in. I believe wholeheartedly that if the church, the church worldwide, brought their tithe in like they should, the church would be the answer to all the social issues in the world. We wouldn't need the government. Because the church could do it. The church could help the widows and the orphans just like they did in the early church in the book of Acts where the church was the social service system, not the government. And the reason why the church needs to be that is because the church is the only one with the right answers to people's social issues. Because we have Jesus. And so when you bring the tithe in the storehouse, it allows us to do all sorts of stuff, and then people give glory to God because their needs are being met by the church because you bring the tithe in. And you get fed out of that. And you get to celebrate that. The second thing is the tithe teaches me to put God first. In Deuteronomy 14.23, it says this, the purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God first in your lives. I can't think of a more practical way then we can show that God's our number one than the giving of our 10%. Now, this morning, I just need to say something, just to clarify. I realize that some of you can't do that. Some of you have unsaved husbands who won't allow you to do this, and that's fine. Please, don't feel guilty in any way, shape, or form. Or maybe you're, you just can't afford to. By the time the rent comes out and everything, you've you got nothing left. I understand that. God's not angry with you. But here's the thing. Do something. Even if it's 50 cents a week or a dollar a week, start the principle. Trust him. Say, God, you know what? One of the greatest stories in the Bible is about the widow's might. Yeah? All the Pharisees come in and they got wads of cash, you know, and they're just putting the money into the offering. But what does Jesus notice? Not the big amounts that the Pharisees are putting in, but the sacrifice that the widow makes with just a little. And he says, she's blessed. Why? Because he understands it's not equal amounts. It's about equal sacrifice. But I can't think of a better way practically in our lives to actually put God first, to make a conscious decision to make God first. And people tithe in here today, they're kind of kicking back and they're smiling and they're relaxed because they're like, yeah, man, bring on the blessings. They get the principle some of you are sitting here and going, holy crap, I wish I didn't come today. <laughs> I wish I wasn't here today hearing this because you're telling me i got to give 10%? Are you crazy? Have you no idea how much that is or how I'm going to do it? Do, do you realize that if I was going to give 10% of my income to God, not to the church, to God, returning the tithe to him, if I was going to do, do you realize I would have to completely reorganize my life to make that happen? 
Exactly. Putting him first. Oh, but I'd have to go without my flash coffee every day. Oh, I'd have to go without Sky TV and miss watching the All Blacks live. Exactly. But here's the thing. When we put him first, he puts us first. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added to you. He's basically saying, I, I don't want you to miss out on any of that. But the principle is, I come first, then I'll bless you. I come first, and then I'll bless you. But, but I'll have to reprioritize and make major changes to my life. Yes. And this is a very tangible and practical way that you can reorganize your life and say, I choose to put God first. You may not be able to buy your tickets to your favorite sporting event and have to watch it at home on TV. <gasps> because you're going to say, hey, man, I'm actually going to put God first. The tithe teaches me to put God first. The third thing is the tithe increases my faith in God. The tithe increases my faith in God. It teaches me that 90% with the blessing of God is better than 100% without it. That God can do more with 90% than, than I can do with 100%. That God can bless me so much that there's just more than... It builds your faith. And here's the crazy thing when it comes to God. Even though I believe the tithe is God testing us, the Bible says this, that when we tithe, we're allowed to test Him. You're not allowed to test Him about anything else in Scripture except for this one thing. In Malachi, it says this, test me in this. In other words, if you would bring the tithe into the storehouse, test me in this. In what? Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing that there's not enough room for you to contain it. How many people want such a blessing that you actually don't have enough room to contain it? How many people want to have so much blessing come in and they're out of the overflow? You're helping the solo mom and the widows and the orphans and all the people that need help, that your business is exploding and you're employing people left, right and center that normally wouldn't have that opportunity. I think it's the greatest thing that we could ever do to be blessed so much that out of the overflow that we're, we're blessing people's lives lives, that we're blessing people. He says, you can test me. You can say, hey, I've done this. Now, come on. I followed your principle. Now, you've you got to come through on this. And I've had that conversation with God on, on a regular basis. Hey, wait. Now, I've changed my mindset a little bit now, and instead of kind of tested him so much and reminded him of what he should do, now I've shifted a little bit to the point where I expect to be blessed because I follow the principle. So when a blessing comes, it's not a shock to me. I expect blessing to come because I'm following the principle. Here's the thing. In the Bible, numbers represent things. Six is the number of man. Seven is the number of perfection, hence why. 666 is the number of the devil. 777 is the number of God. 12 means government, the 12 disciples, government. All, all, but, the, but 10, 10 in Scripture is the number of testing. 10 is the number of testing. Think about this. When God tested us for obedience, how many commandments did he give us? Hello? 10. When God tested Pharaoh's heart in the Old Testament, how many plagues did he send to test Pharaoh's heart? 
It's, it's, it's the same answer all the way through. You can do this. In the New Testament, how many virgins were tested to see if they were prepared for the return of the bridegroom? How many lepers were healed to test to see who would come back and give their gratitude to Jesus? So 10 is the number of testing, hence tithe, 10%. It's a test. 10 is the number of testing, and God wants to know, will you love and trust money, or will you love and trust God? If you will return the 10% to God, here's the deal. He said, you can test me and see if I won't do this. Now, I want to be really, really clear this morning. I'm not preaching the prosperity gospel. This is not a blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, confess it and possess it. That's not what the scripture teaches. All right? The other thing is, is when you come to giving, don't sit by your letterbox waiting for a big check to turn up. Because sometimes the blessing comes in other ways. Like when I brought a car the other week because my car died. And my car was only worth, was only worth about $5,000 and stuff went wrong on it. I took it to the mechanic and he said it's going to cost about 4500 to fix. How many people know when it costs just about as much as it's worth to fix, it's not worth it? And then I thought, well, if I take it to a wrecker, I'm not going to get much. So I'm always use it as a trade-in, and I'll be lucky if I get 500 bucks for the trade-in. And the guy gave me about $3,500 for the trade-in without even driving it. And I'm like, sucker. <laughs> and then he discounted the window price. And I remember going, oh, that's cool. And then I remember I'm driving home, and God says, say thank you. Because we do. We have this mentality that if I give... They're not going to sit by the letterbox and wait for the $10,000 check to come in. But maybe the blessing comes in a whole various ways. I was just talking to someone this morning whose who's boss is now like, look, I'm sorry, you've been doing stuff you shouldn't have been doing, putting you under pressure, so we're going to do a review and we're going to give you a wage rise. Come on, how many people know that's a blessing? There's a solo mum who's not here this morning in our church that's just brought her own home on a solo mum income. Come on. Because why? Because you can test him and say, hey, I'm doing this. Come on. Come on. Where is it? He says, test me. I want to give you a challenge this morning. If you don't currently tithe or if you don't currently do 10%, you're just doing 50 bucks here and 50 bucks there or whatever. I want to challenge you this morning. Why don't you put God to the test for the next three months? Step up to the plate. Trust his principle and for the next three months to give the way that you're meant to. And if at the end of three months you're not blessed, then you can stop. But let's put him to the test. Because currently what you're doing is not working. If you want the blessings of the kingdom, you have to follow the principles. He says, test me. Test me. It's a blessed test. Now, there's many people here who will be saying, oh, the tithe is under the law. It's Old Testament. It's not New Testament. Actually, you're wrong. Tithing came in before the law, 400 years before the law, when Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ, so you're wrong. Tithing was way before the law. You've been taught wrong. In the New Testament, 
The tithe as the law has gone away, but the tithe as the principle is there to stay. Jesus said this in Matthew 23, 23, he said, For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of law, justice, mercy, and faith. Listen to what he says. You should tithe. God's not saying the tithe doesn't exist. He's saying you should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things. In other words, he's saying you should tithe, but you should do more than just that. Because here's the thing. People always argue and say it's Old Testament. Well, if you want to live by... New Testament, let me show you some examples of how New Testament takes it up a level, doesn't diminish a level. In the Old Testament, it says things like do not murder. In the New Testament, it says don't hate someone. Because when you hate them, you've committed murder. In the Old Testament, it says don't commit adultery. But how many people know in the New Testament, it says even if you look at a woman that way, you've done it. It's not a reduction, it's an increase. The Old Testament says tithe, And the New Testament says, give him your whole life. So don't come with me to the Old Testament, New Testament argument, because the New Testament lifts, it doesn't decrease. In fact, Paul said this, it's because of your grace that I don't sin. People treat grace like it's a backstop in case they do sin, but the New Testament, which is under grace, not under the law, lifts the level of us to live to, not diminishes. The tithe is a beginning place and it breaks the grip of materialism and the trust of money as we return to God the things that belong to God. We give him our first and our best so that he can bless the rest. Proverbs 3, nine says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. Then, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. It's an act of faith. It's an act of worship. It's exactly how God intended it to be because it requires faith to give to him first. It doesn't require faith to give to him last. We give first. You know why we give first? Because that's exactly what he did for you and I. Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did God do? He gave first. Before you even knew him, before you even knew that he existed, before you were even born, before you're even a twinkle in your daddy's eye, the Bible says that he gave his son, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He gave first trusting that at some stage you'll understand how much he loves you and that you'll give your life to him. But he didn't do it last, waiting for you to give your life first. He said, I'll step up to the plate and I'll lead by example and I'll give first. He gave before we believed. Before you and I believed in him, he gave. His son, he gave first. And he gave his best. He didn't go through heaven and go, where's that useless angel? You know? You know the one has spelling problems? You know, a bit lazy. You know, the one that was on the building site in heaven and we tell him measure twice, cut once. But he always measures once and cuts about five different times. Let's send my leftovers to the world. But he didn't do that. He said, 
I'm going to take my very, very, very best, my one and only son, irreplaceable, and I'm going to give him to them before they even give anything to me. And all he's saying to us this morning is that because he gave first, will we give our lives? Will we give our best? Will we give our lives? Will we trust him? Or are we going to trust our wallets?